So I have a message. It's actually part of just a path the Lord is navigating me down for a while. Um, I told Pastor Chris that the Lord started speaking to me about this message four months ago. And so I've spent four months listening and putting notes together. And at one point I had 45 pages of notes. And Chris said, Robert, you can't do that, all right? So um, I've spent most of the last month since he asked me to speak trying to narrow down to what the, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to share this morning. Let me just start off by saying that oftentimes when a speaker shares with an audience, there's an assumption that they may be an expert or at least somewhat successful in the topic that they're discussing. I will tell you that today is not necessarily one of those days. I have struggled with this topic for most of my life, frustrating myself, my family, and others. And when I began to sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me about this topic, I began to think of all the other people who I felt could do a much better job teaching this lesson. I felt like Moses trying to convince God to get somebody else to go talk to Pharaoh. But the Holy Spirit would not relent. And so for about five months, he's been revealing this message to me. And it wasn't until just a few weeks ago when Pastor Chris asked me to speak on Sunday that I knew that this was the time and the moment. When I began writing this, I didn't know when I was going to speak it. I was up at 5 a.m. this morning praying for you and asking the Holy Spirit to speak through me in a way that would encourage and equip all of us for the journey that's ahead. So with that, I want to begin. You see, it's no secret that technology and innovation has made routine tasks easier and quicker. How many of you love technology? We now have restaurants that can produce a family-sized meal for drive-through customers in less than a minute. We have cameras on police officers, instant news coverage, personal cell phones that record events on the ground as they unfold. With these innovation and other advances, an expectation has been set that we should no longer have to wait to get what we want or to make judgments about right or wrong. All you have to do is look at a little social media and you just see how quickly people are to jump to a conclusion. The message society would communicate to us is that patience is no longer needed. It's old school. It's like bell-bottom jeans or a paisley tie. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Out of style. What's the common definition of patience? Well, patience is commonly defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. It historically comes from the Latin word patientia, meaning suffering, which also gives us the word patient. Suffering to someone, uh, referring to someone who's suffering from being sick or injured. Today, this is interesting, today the use of the word patience, it is at its lowest point in any other time in the last 500 years of recorded history. This is a telling commentary on how society as a whole stands when it comes to patience. But I would ask all of us, how does the Bible define patience? The Bible has much more to say about patience than the common definition we know. The Bible says, number one, patience originates from God in Romans 15, 4 through 6. It tells us patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit 
in Galatians 5.22. It tells us patience is a product of self-control and is part of godliness in 2 Peter 1.6. It tells us patience was demonstrated by Jesus in Matthew 27.14. It tells us patience helps us grow during trials in Romans 5.4. It tells us patience allows us to be strengthened and blessed by God in Psalms 27, 14. And finally, it tells us that patience is pleasing to God in Ecclesiastes 7, 8. It's clear that patience is a virtue from God. And with biblical literacy being at such a low point, it's no surprise that there's such a lack of patience in modern society. Like all other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, patience is yet another barometer of our relationship with God. Unfortunately, lack of patience has led to many situations where poor decisions have been made and injustices have taken place. With continued drifting away from God's Word in today's society, calling for patience by someone often leads to accusations that someone is deliberately trying to cover something up. But see, the Bible has much to say about this super fruit of the Spirit called patience. James 1, 2, and 3 out of the Message Bible says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced to open and show its true colors. And then the very next verse, James 1, 4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Most of us, myself included, would prefer to work in areas that we already have a level of proficiency in, giving each of us a measure of confidence that we're growing spiritually. Working on our deficiencies never seems to make it to our to-do list. Why is that? Most of the time we don't work on areas that we struggle in because we already know it's not a strength. Or we've tried before and given up because we failed to see any improvement. But I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging each of us in this area because the days ahead will require us as followers of Christ to be patient to have resolve, and that we are not moved by what we see in the world, and we can remain confident in God's promises, even when it doesn't look promising. You see, patience gives us endurance, the ability to, do, to endure difficult times, difficult seasons, and difficult people. I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging us today to never let your lack of resources justify your ambition and never allow the measure of your wealth to be the measure of your life. You see, the path towards wisdom is not taken by steps. It's taken by choices. We do not become fools because we lack the right information. We become fools because we love the wrong things. You see, there is no more spiritual act than to choose, but before you swing your axe, you have to choose your tree. Decide what your life is going to be about. Decide what it's worth living for and find your intention. And no matter what may come, never relinquish your intention to please God and to serve Him. 
You see, one of the big hindrances to feeling positive about the days ahead is that we have the, mis the mistakes and the failures that we've had in our past. The thing that always speaks loudest to our future is the voice of our past. And when our past has been peppered with tough times and disappointments or personal tragedy, it can strong, strongly color the perception of what is ahead. One of the big questions we sometimes ask in seasons like this is what God was doing through it all. Or where was he in the middle of my circumstance? Or how does all this fit into his plans and purposes in our life? You see, the, in the end, most of us will wonder if what we've given ourselves to has been worth the fight, especially if it doesn't turn out the way we expected. And that's when we must never forget that what's done for ourselves will one day be forgotten. But what we've done for others, what we've done for our family, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our church, and for his kingdom will resonate throughout eternity. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, in everything we do, we show that we are the true children of God. How? How does that work? He goes on, he says, how do we show that we are the true children of God? We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. You see, the way of the disciple is the way of Jesus. And while others had hoped he would call out an army or incite a rebellion or use his power to topple an empire, he chose a different way. He understood the source of all conflict, and he knew it all began in the human heart. You see, the greatest enemies of peace within us are worry and fear. And we have no control over the reality that in this world we will have trouble. But we have control over whether we decide to allow our hearts to be troubled. See, while worry will rob our joy, fear tries to steal our freedom. For what we fear establishes boundaries in our life. What we fear has mastery over our souls. Depression is how your soul processes regret. Anxiety is how your soul processes fear. And when we're anxious, we lose our strength. And when we're afraid, we lose our courage. And when we found peace, we have both strength and courage to live the lives that God intended us to live. Peace does not come when you fully have control over your life. Peace comes when you no longer need control over your life. You cannot control your circumstances, but you can control your character. You cannot control the actions of others, but you can control the choices you make. And you cannot control the outcome, but you can control the process. It may seem like a small thing, but when you get up every morning and face your fears, accept your assignment, and live a godly life that points others to Jesus, you're participating in the advancement of his kingdom. And when you refuse to allow yourself to be paralyzed by the uncertainty of tomorrow and set forth with courage and faith, you become part of creating a new world, a better world. So I'd ask the question, are you allowing anxiety to take your strength or regret to lead you to despair? How can we begin to relinquish the, our need for control of our, of our life to God? If we will own up to our impatience and what causes it. Let me tell you, there's three things that cause impatience. Our self, our wants, and our schedules. 
if we will own up to our impatience, then our impatience will never own us. See, ownership is not about possession. It's about responsibility. When you take matters, what you owe matters far less than what, takes, what you take ownership for. We are responsible for far more than what we have been given. I want you to hear me for a moment. We are responsible for far more than what we've been given. We are responsible for what could have been done with all that's been entrusted to us. You cannot change what you do not take responsibility for. And when you blame someone else, you become dependent on, individual, on that individual to solve your problem, change your circumstance, and then he or she is the only one that has the power to change your condition. See, there's an unexpected relationship between blame and fear. When you blame others for your failures, you blame others for your impatience, you become powerless to change yourself. See, fear may not cause you to abdicate responsibility, but the abdication of responsibility will almost always cause you to live in fear. Whatever you're facing, we serve a God who wants to fight our battles for us. And just because we've experienced victory in one battle does not secure for us victory in another. Without the superfruit of patience, we will inevitably end up fighting the battles in our own strength rather than his strength. God will give you the strength you need not simply to face the giants that are in front of you, but to continue the journey that awaits this is the profound nature of God that when we're weak, he's strong. And when we've lost our strength, he replenishes it. And oftentimes as believers, we experience circumstances that appear to be weapons of harm, such as disappointments, loss, rejection, sickness, betrayal, even loneliness. But even through that, God continually rescues us each time. You might feel as though time is running out and that God will not deliver you. But I challenge you this morning to have confidence in God and be patient. He is your rescuer. He is the guard of all. He's your bodyguard. He's your rear guard. He's your loving father. And we must trust him without any self-imposed deadlines. See, God works on his time, and he knows the right time and the right way to deliver each of us. God has a bigger reason for asking you to trust him, and it's better than you would have imagined. Therefore, if you lean into him deeply in times of waiting, he'll get you through the difficulty. God is making you a disciple who will one day be able to soar over difficulties. Look at your giants in the face and with confidence declare, my God will deliver me. So whether God is pruning things out of your life or simply asking you to wait for his timing, let him have his way. Trust him deeply. and He knows what he's doing. There is a battle over our minds and hearts trying to taint our affection towards the Father and distort who we know him to be. Our belief in the goodness of God is the cornerstone and foundation for knowing and trusting him deeply. You see, if his goodness is not a cornerstone, conflict will cause us to question or to accuse God. God is not the author of evil, but he's the redeemer who turns evil situations around for our good. God fiercely pursues us and chases us down with his goodness. Regardless of what current state may appear, he is faithful. He longs to fill our lives with goodness and joy. 
in, the, in order to make the goodness of God our lens in the midst of hardship, we have to constantly renew our minds, recalling the testimony of his goodness that has stayed constant throughout history. Joseph's encounter with the chief cupbearer in Genesis chapter 40 hadn't been forgotten. It was just delayed for the right time when Pharaoh would have his dream. Joseph had to be patient rather than being bitter or frustrated, allowing God to work out his plan, and we're expected to do the same thing. See, sometimes God will allow us to wait and endure because he's preparing us for something that's ahead. God is a God that confirms our purpose and is concerned about our feelings. God brought good out of the trials that Joseph faced. He brought good out of the rejection and betrayal. He brought good out of Joseph's imprisonment and that he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He brought good out of the seven-year famine. And the same God can bring good out of any situation, challenge, rejection, or betrayal you may face or are currently facing, but we have to wait patiently on the Lord. You see, when we're in a season of waiting, we must always consult his word and spend time in prayer listening. Too many times when we're going through a difficulty, we spend time in prayer complaining. God, when will it end? Aren't you hearing me? Don't you know what I'm going through? We have to spend time listening so that our response to this difficulty is not simply based on our perception but our response is based on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. See, when you're faced with something you don't understand, you have to ask the Holy Spirit who gives us power to understand all things to empower you. This can range from not understanding your homework assignment to not understanding while you're going through a hard time. He begins when we end and his strength is made purpose, perfect Excuse me, when we are weak. Jesus' words challenge us to consider the cost of discipleship and ultimately our commitment to him. See, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. The God we worship and serve can do even more than you can pray or dream. His nature is to bless you beyond your ability to ask. That's the kind of God he is, a God that does beyond anything we can ask or think. But just like Joseph, all that you've been through in the past or are going through in the present or will go through in the future is necessary for the preservation of your family, the maturing of your faith to enable God to equip us to reach this generation. It's never just about us. It always has a bigger picture, a greater purpose. Thank God for the encouragement that you receive from the body of Christ and for the opportunities to let God glorify himself through your faith and patience as you go through trials. You know, sometimes as the church, we don't oftentimes know how to respond to others when we know they're going through a difficulty. So sometimes we're thinking, I'm glad it's them, not me. Or sometimes we think, well, you know, if they come to church more or they pray more or they'd eat right or work out, you know, 
I mean, we try to make excuses for why people are dealing with difficulty when the Bible says we're there to encourage them, point them to God, and to commit ourselves to pray for them. Let me continue. Challenges are the food of champions. And when we're called to wait for the Lord's plans to come to pass, it's not a passive waiting that he requires of us, but a very active one that leads to incredible personal growth. Time of reflection also requires discernment. Sometimes when we set aside a specific period to wait on God, we create a blank page to allow God to write whatever he wants to write. And somehow we find ourselves waiting expectantly for something, anything. But most of us do not live with blank pages. We already have part of an ongoing story. We may be waiting for a new chapter to begin, but we're not waiting for the book to be open and the story to be written. See, God has written a story about each of us. And just like Joseph, for that story to accomplish its purpose, there will be obstacles and you will have to wait for God to fulfill it. So you have to ask the Lord to give you discernment as you wait and seek him. Let him show you his perspective on your life and how you can use this time, even though it's difficult, how you can use it purposefully. For us, both individually and as a church, being filled with the Spirit does not mean we're ready to move in the fullness of our calling and power. We need to submit to the discipline of the Holy Spirit. And during this time, God will discipline, or excuse me, disciple us in prayer, fasting, and the skillful use of His Word. You see, during the wait, and let me affirm to all of us, the purpose of every wait is to allow the Holy Spirit to develop the superfruit of patience. If you're waiting, God is using the wait to develop patience in your life. The result of growing in patience is our ability to wait for God's timing will be released and the supernatural power of God will be able to flow through our lives. You see, if you don't wait on God, you will move in your strength, your ability, your timing, your understanding, your perception, and it's all on you. But when we wait for God, God's timing, God's power, God's strength, then he's the one that gets the glory. Fasting, I have found to be an important key during the time that you wait. Fasting helps us go beyond the infilling of the Holy Spirit and to tap into the power of the Spirit for us individually and as a church. Patience is a virtue. If you're older than the age of 40, you've probably heard that before. Somewhat cliche. And many of us know that patience is listed by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, and 23 as part of the fruit of the Spirit. So there's no disputing that the Christian ought to be patient. But as with many of the virtues, the biblical writers assume that we know what patience is and don't really give us an explicit definition. My question to each of us this morning is, do we? Do we know what patience really means could you define patience if you were asked and to make things more challenging could you do so 
without simply citing examples of patience. Part of being a Christian is the ability to accept unfortunate circumstances gracefully while having faith that we will ultimately find resolution in God. In other places, patience is defined as waiting without complaint. Patience might seem to be morally or might seem to be a morally insignificant trait. What is so virtuous about not complaining? In itself, not complaining carries no particular virtue. Something else must be required to make one's lack of complaint virtuous. And that something else is discomfort. You see, it's because a circumstance is uncomfortable for someone that we find he or she's refusal to complain remarkable and therefore regard them as patient. So to clarify our initial definition, to be patient is to endure personal, relational, physical, financial discomfort without complaining. To do so, this calls into play some other virtues, specifically self-control, humility, and generosity. That is, patience is not a fundamental virtue so much as a complex combination of other virtues. Patience involves things like self-control, humility, and generosity, all of which they uh, themselves are virtues. So one might say that patience is a complex virtue because it is the exercise of several other virtues. Sometimes patience is human-directed. Waiting your turn in line or in traffic certainly demands patience. Waiting for a teenager to mature can require extraordinary amount of patience. Can I get an amen? All right. In any case, whether a stranger is in your way, your co-worker is pestering you, your teenager is going through a period of acute self-righteousness, you must endure discomfort because of other people. 2 Timothy 2.24 addresses that when it says, A servant of the Lord must not argue, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. But even more challenging at times is the patience that is God-directed. In every Christian's life, there comes a time when we must wait on God. Sometimes we must wait for a need to be met, such as finding a job. Other times we must wait for the satisfaction of a significant desire, such as finding a spouse or conceiving a child. Other times we wait for God to fulfill a promise to confirm, to comfort during a trial or to give us assurance of forgiveness of a sin. In these cases, we must be patient with God. One of the reasons why patience is such a challenge is that none of us struggle precisely with the same difficulties other people do. Nor are our particular strengths and weaknesses the same as others. One person is even tempered and can't understand why her friend flies off the handle all the time. But the person with the bad temper can't understand why her even-keeled friend can habitually be late to meetings. And both of them get annoyed at the third friend's tendency to overeat. See, why is patience towards God so difficult? The explanation boils down again to our tendency to think, see things only from our own point of view. Further reasons compound the difficulty of waiting on God. 
For one thing, patience with God involves faith. And to exercise faith is to surrender our final control of whatever the outcome is to God. To lack faith is to give in to our desire for control. So our patience with God will only be as strong as our ability to overcome the desire to answer our own prayer, fulfill our own promise. And we surrender every aspect of our life to him. Sometimes it may be unclear whether God wants us to wait or take another course of action, especially when there's no guarantee that God will act to satisfy our desires. See, most situations that demand patience are in regard to specific promises of God. So how has patience developed? It's been said that nothing teaches like experience. To some degree, this is true of all of the virtues. Pain and suffering teach us endurance and empathy. We gain moral maturity each day precisely because each day brings some difficulty that we must overcome. Like it or not, we, as we persevere, we are morally and spiritually better for it. That's why James tells us to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Misfortunes are designed to build virtue in us. And among the virtues gained through difficulty is patience. Every little annoyance, every long wait, every affliction, mosquito bite, traffic jam, body ache in the life of the Christian raises his or her threshold of tolerance and their ability to be patient. Your worst moment in your past is simply another piece of your life that God redeems through the weight. By allowing the Holy Spirit to develop and to shape us, he causes what we saw as hurt and failure to work together for our good and restores it for his purposes. And then he places that circumstance, situation, hurt, failure, rejection, lovingly into the beautiful tapestry of our life, and he calls it good. When you see those moments in your life, and you know which moments that I'm talking about, if you don't see them as good at this moment, then I would respond by saying it's not the end. You might be at the end of the page or the end of the chapter, but you're not at the end of the story. So through the daily grind, the Christian grows morally, improves in the virtue through various experiences he or she might even consider morally irrelevant, much less significant. Jesus, while he was here on earth, knew everyone perfectly. Consider this for a moment. Completely understanding each person's motives and perspective. Knowing what it was like to be the disciples as Jesus did would have certainly have contributed to his remarkable patience. I'm thinking some of those disciples, three and a half years with them, you know, you had to fly off the handle at least once. Not Jesus. Too often we are less patient with those that are closest to us. But I want you to remember this. We tend to give more grace when there's more space. 
Have you ever noticed that many times the people closest to us are the ones that aggravate us the most, and as a result, we're often more impatient and, and exhibit less restraint? Try, try doing this when someone closest you says something or do something that irritates or aggravates you. I'm going to give you three things to do. Okay? You forget everything else, remember these three. Number one, pause. Take a moment to listen to the other person and listen to the Holy Spirit to see if there's something specific God wants you to say or do. Sometimes when somebody's saying something to you, they're just unloading their day, okay? Doesn't necessarily mean you need to respond. You may need to. What I know you don't need to do is interrupt. So you're going to pause. Then you're going to ponder. Consider the person, what they may be going through, the difficulties they may be facing. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you empathy, insight, and understanding. And then third, pray. Whisper a short prayer for the other person or sometimes for yourself. Ask God to help you to respond in a constructive way that pleases Him. And then, and only then, speak if necessary. You see, many times just by listening and remaining silent, you provide an environment for God to work. Jesus withstood boredom. Although this is somewhat speculative, so give me a little latitude here. But I think it's fair to assume that Jesus, that it was tiresome for Jesus to work as a carpenter for many years before beginning his messianic ministry. For over a decade, the Son of God pounded nails into wood. Think about that if you've ever felt overqualified for the God job you're currently doing. The waiting might have been the hardest part, knowing his mission as the Messiah, but not being able to declare his identity openly for so many years. And probably the more obvious way Jesus exhibited patience was through severe affliction. Now, this is going to go off in four seconds. And so then you can stop listening. <laughs> and I can stop talking. I got three more pages. <laughs> He's still deciding, all right? He suffered intensely during the Passion Week, which just happened to be last week. Countless other less dramatic but yet severe frustrations surely dogged him. Jesus knew, for example, that given his messianic mission, he could never get married or have children. This doesn't mean that he didn't desire those things. Because the scripture tells us he suffered as all of us suffered, and unfulfilled romantic affection is certainly a form of suffering. It would have been one more, excuse me, it would be one more in an inexhaustible list of temptations Jesus faced and resisted in a lifetime of trials. Jesus exhibited patience with his heavenly father as he waited and worked towards the completion of his mission. Just as we are to wait and exhibit patience with our heavenly father as we work towards the completion of our mission. Patience is a virtue 
a difficult but important one for every Christian. While every day our patience is tested and we can hope increased, we must be mindful of the process of sanctification and how God is at work using our difficulties, even tiny annoyances, to make us more like Jesus. We must be intentional about increasing our patience by practicing spiritual disciplines. Let us focus even more clearly on the example of Christ in order to imitate him in all things large and small. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. I'm going to give you four Bible verses that talk about patience. And then I'm going to give you six quick ways that patience is developed. And then I'm going to hand Pastor Chris the microphone. Romans 12, 2, 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in difficulties. Be constant in prayer. Psalms 130, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. A very familiar passage of scripture that you could quote with me. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now pause right there. Don't keep quoting. Stop right there. When you lean on your own understanding, that is what happens when you become impatient and take matters into your own hand. So when you read that scripture in the future and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, what he's saying is don't get impatient with God. Don't try to fix this yourself. Let's continue in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of just, blessed are all those who wait for him. So as I close, let me share with you six ways you can grow in this super fruit of the Spirit. Now I'm going to give you six. Let me just challenge you. Just pick one of these. Okay? Just say, I'm going to spend the next month working in this way in patience. Number one, patience is waiting quietly. In Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good for that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What do you think it means to wait quietly without complaint? The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that God is in heaven and we are on earth. In other words, he says God is God and we are not. It is a call to respect and to be in awe of God. Giving him the rightful place as sovereign and mighty over all things. With this in mind, the writer tells us in Ecclesiastes to keep our words few. He says, when we draw near to his presence, we should humbly draw ourselves low, bringing our lives before him and keeping our communication short. One of the main roles in God's presence is to listen. God wants us to draw close to him so we can listen, so we keep our words few and open the ears of our hearts so we can hear from him. Another way patience is developed, it says patience is waiting eagerly. See, when you don't think God's going to do something and you don't think God cares, it's hard to wait eagerly. 
Hebrews 9, 27. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear the second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Number three, patience is waiting until the end. James 5, 7, 8 says, Be patient. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Number four, patience is waiting expectantly. In Oswald Chambers' devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, Chambers writes, God gives us a vision, and then he takes us down to the valley to mold us into shape for that vision. It's in the valley that so many of us give up and faint. Every God-given vision will become real if we only have patience. Number five, patience is waiting joyfully. Again, in James, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Because, you know, the testing of your face produces perseverance. And then the very next verse says, let patience finish its work. Number six is patience is waiting with grace for yourself. You know, sometimes the person we get the most impatient for with when we wait as ourselves especially if whatever we're going through has been self-inflicted this is waiting with grace for yourself is much easier said than done waiting with patience is not easy and God knows this but God calls us to be patient he knows how to help you in your weakness we cannot be patient on our own. Let me just emphasize this. You cannot be patient in your strength or your ability. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of the flesh. Therefore, we need the Spirit's help to grow in patience. I'm skipping because he's fixing to get out of that chair. Okay. Let me just close with this one last phrase. God teaches us so much during the waiting and the spiritual discipline of quieting our hearts before him, slowing down, allowing ourselves to wait on him is the key to understand and embrace the value of patience. So whatever you're going through today, Whatever you're dealing with, whoever you're dealing with, whatever prayer you've prayed that doesn't seem to be getting God's attention, there's a purpose in the wait. And if we will wait patiently, without complaining, without a timeline, we press into Him, we get quiet in His presence. Let me tell you what I have learned is that he is more important than the answer to any of the prayers that I've prayed. His presence, his affirmation, his love. And when we begin to get upset at God because situations don't change or timelines come and go, what we're saying is that God, 
what I need you to do is more important than you are. And let me just remind all of us, there's not a prayer that you can pray or a need that you face that's more valuable than the God we serve. Thank you, Pastor Chris.